Thank you, Pastor Johnson. Privilege to be here tonight. Our hearts have been thrilled already with the messages and song and the testimony of the young people. Glad we are to have a, a part just to sit and listen and to enjoy the blessings that uh, are ours this week through our blessed Savior. I'd like to read a portion of the Word of God with you if you will turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, again reading at verse 15, 2 Peter 1, 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the, dark, the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So far, reading. The subject that has been assigned to us tonight is eyewitnesses of his majesty, eyewitness of his majesty, and a heavenly vision of his glory. And we trust tonight that God will bless as we consider these uh, subjects. They are subjects, aren't they? Two subjects. The elements in grammar that indicate change, such as moreover, albeit, nevertheless, and what, are so very important to our understanding. It came to pass, but now indicates change. We must be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to discern the change when God changes. Man in his fall lost recognition of God. It's interesting to study man's search for God, yet no man seeketh after God. But when God speaks to man, then man in turn seeks for God. Man is empty. He has been seeking for fulfillment for that which satisfies every sense our father Adam sinned back there in the garden. The most sad, one of the most sad statements in the Bible is found back in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. Would you turn there, please? Genesis 3, 8. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? 
Where art thou? We have an accommodation. God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to respond, and he did. But where art thou? He had had fellowship with God, and I'm sure that the Bible teaches that Adam uh, had experienced, he had uh, seen the glory of God, but now we find him hiding himself amongst the trees and God seeking man. Since that time, God has been in the business seeking man. There is none that seeketh after God. All men want to find uh, an answer to his predicament. He wants to know something about the solution to his problem and problems. But yet, I have yet to find very many that really are looking for the gospel. The gospel is offensive. Men are looking for a solution to his predicament, but he's not looking for God. And when the gospel is preached, man is offended. Man had to be reintroduced to God, so God pursued man. In Genesis 15, would you turn to Genesis 15? Just a couple of verses there. This is a confirmation of the Abrahamic covenant made in chapter 12. And here he does enlarge upon the covenant. And we're told that God promised, at verse 5, we're told that he brought him forth, that is, he brought Abram forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, that is, count the stars, if thou, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, rather he believed the Lord, and he accounted unto him for righteousness, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? A doubt implied. Abraham believed God, but yet, he says, whereby shall I know for a surety? And so God confirmed the covenant in the ensuing verses which we will not look at. So we find God confirming the oath that he made to Abraham that he would give him an heritage and he would give him the land. Abraham asked for a confirmation indicating unbelief in part. Man believes in degrees, doesn't he? Then again in Exodus, Chapter 3, we find Moses at the burning bush. We find Moses, although he had a great heritage, uh, he had been raised, he had been reared in the house of Pharaoh, he had a falling out with the government and he had to leave the country and he went to Midian. He went to Sinai. We find in these verses here that we will look at, and we'll look at verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? An indication, truly, that Moses did not know God. Verse 14 says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt 
uh, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The self-existing, self-perpetuating one. And so therefore Moses was introduced to God, to Jehovah, God. Also in Exodus chapter 33, let us turn there for a moment. Moses now has been used of God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt into the peninsula of Sinai. And he's been called to the mountain to receive the, the law. And while he's there, his brother Aaron, who was his helper, who was his mouthpiece, allowed and certainly participated in an apostasy that called for judgment. And so Moses had to go back to the mountain. He had to intercede that Jehovah God would forgive the sins or the sin of the people. Verse 12 in chapter 33, as the Lord Jehovah speaks to Moses, we find Moses answering, and Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast that thou hast, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast not thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. At verse 18, and Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man be, see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, in is a behold there is a place by me that thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory pass by and i will put thee in the cleft of the rock and i will cover thee with my hand while i pass by and i will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face thou shalt not see a very difficult verse is 3023 to in to translate I'm told. My back parts are my other self, are my second person. It is hard, most difficult to translate. Are my left self probably would be the best translation. Indicating that there was another person you can't see my glory, you can't look on my face, but as I pass by, you can see my back parts or my other self, or my left person. No doubt. The glory that he saw, and some have translated, the afterglow. The afterglow. Afterglow of glory. So Moses had a... Uh, had a preview of the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 21, we find a most hu humiliating circumstance showing the ignorance, the lack of discernment of the people. 
It is on our Lord's last journey to Jerusalem. It is what is called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And we'd like to read just a couple of verses, at, beginning at verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come unto Jerusalem, all of the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? The multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Some introduction, was it not? This is, this is the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. We'll have more to say about this passage in a moment. But it is indicative here that the people to whom he had ministered for some three, three and a half years had never been introduced to him. The multitude that went before and the multitude that followed were his own group of people that had followed him to Jerusalem. And yet they, when, the, uh, when the citizenry, when the people from the city came out and said, Who is this? They said, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. What an introduction it was. Back to 1 Peter now, if you will. This is just the introduction that we've had here. Second Peter, Peter was concerned about his constituency, the people to whom he wrote, that they would remember, that they wouldn't forget. We're so forgetful. Mankind is so forgetful. Adam and his posterity soon forgot. It's interesting also, when Saul of Tarsus was confronted with the uh, Lord of Glory on the road to Damascus, he said, Who art thou, Lord? He was one that was instructed in the scriptures, wasn't he? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the mouthpiece. And yet, who art thou, Lord? Is a strange, it's a strange question. Peter says that you might have these things always in remembrance, at verse 15, Verse 16, he said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Of course, this reference is to the uh, transfiguration of our Lord uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration were eyewitnesses of his magnificence, his, magi his majesty, or his magnificence. Uh, he referred to the Father's testimony, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. The most regarded exhibit of testimony is given by those who saw and those who heard. The only testimony that's worth anything before a court is a testimony of those who have seen and those who have heard. Uh, Peter says, we have seen and we heard the voice from the excellent glory in verse 17. In verse 19, Peter says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Mr. Schofield, the editors of the Schofield Bible, has done an injustice. Done it, they did an injustice to the word of God in their correction in the margin. As I search the syntax, I find it is not that the word of prophecy is made more sure by my testimony. But my testimony is not to be regarded, although I saw and I heard. 
If you want to be sure, you go to the prophet. And Peter refers to the prophet's writings or the prophecies concerning the coming, the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. So that's our subject, that you might remember that he's coming, that he's coming in power and he's coming in glory. We saw it. We heard a testimony of the Father concerning his coming and his glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so this is a testimony concerning. Uh, I'm sure that Peter had this in mind when he said, knowing this first, he says, understand this that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It can't stand by itself. It must be harmonious. There must be continuity when we go to the prophets. We can't single out one prophecy and say, well, this excels. Oh, no. Peter says you might have a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than what I've said, because he felt that uh, the words that God had spoken to the prophets these words were more important. And that's what he says at verse 19. He says that you might have a more sure word of prophecy. He says uh, concerning the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. Let us look for a moment to the accounts. All four gospel writers give account of his majesty, of the glory that Peter, James, and John beheld on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. Just a couple of verses there. We're told at verse 2, just to save time, he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Then said Peter... Then answered Peter and said unto the Lord, uh, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us, uh, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, or Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud uh, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Matthew adds something that the others do. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. I thought Brother Stam was uh, going to steal my thunder this morning when he uh, was talking about the, uh, the cloud. And I agree uh, 100% that this was not a rain cloud, but it was a cloud of majestic being angels and the voice out of the midst of the cloud of angels oh he was accompanied the father was accompanied by angels and uh, spake this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased we would find the same account or the uh collaborative passage in mark 9 1 to 7. Uh, in john uh, chapter 1 we will turn there. We'll over. We'll uh, skip Mark. You can pursue it for your own edification, if you like. But in chapter one of John, interesting indeed. Speaking of the virgin birth, I believe in verses. 12 or verses 13 in verse 13 uh, I, I like this I, uh, I, I, I want to uh, just paraphrase it if you would allow me at verse 13 uh, we read verse 12 but as many as received him verse 11 he says he came unto his own he came unto his own things and his own people rejected him but as many as received him to them gave he the authority to become the sons or the children of God, even, even to them that believe on his name, who was born. We have a pronoun here, not in the neuter, in the best manuscript we're told, or in the most authentic manuscripts. 
who was born not of bloods, plural, uh, nor of the will or the desire of the flesh, nor of a male human. Not anthropos here, but enter, referring to a male human being. Not by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a male, but of God who was born of God, of course. And he says, and the word was made flesh. We could not change from 13 to 14 and began a new subject with an and. Whoever heard it is there. With an and. What we have, we have a reference in verses 13 and 14 to the virgin birth of our blessed Lord Jesus. And here John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld or contemplated, is a stronger word, we contemplated, we looked upon his glory with intent and contemplation. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Another, another reference to the scene on the Mount of Transfiguration. The four Gospels give us this account. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 27, verse 27, Luke 9, 27. But I tell you the truth that there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God, and it came to pass about eight days after these sayings he took peter and john and james and went up into a mountain to pray and as he prayed the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening and behold there talked with him two men which were moses and elijah who appeared in glory and spake of his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And Peter, but Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awakened, they saw his glory and the two men that stood by with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And it came to pass. The predictions of this one who was to be the redeemer of mankind, his glory from the fall of Adam until this moment could only be seen in an afterglow. But now the radiant glory which was resident in the person who had emptied himself and made himself of no reputation but took upon him the form of a servant and made him the likeness of men and so humbled himself he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore god hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is that is above every name this passage the kenosis passage in philippians is tremendous yes these three have the joy of participation in seeing his glory. So we have this sure word of prophecy then that would indicate that if we want to know something about our blessed Savior, 
in prophecy, and we want to be assured that he's real, we need to go back and study the prophets. What great glimpses that some of the prophets had of his glory. Now I know that as far as the person of God, he hadn't been seen in his glory in the person until the shroud was lifted and the disciples saw him there on the mount. Turn with me, will you, back to Daniel chapter 13. Daniel chapter 7, chapter 7 and verse 13. Just going to read it. A time is of a premium, isn't it, here? Just going to read it. Verse 13, chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and uh, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed. He came with clouds of heaven. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're reading the testimony of prophecy, which is more sure. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple above it the seraphims, each one had six wings, and twain he covered with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one said unto another, and said, one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved, or the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 3 is an interesting verse. We find that the, uh, the angels, or the seraphims, cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, so there's no mistake as to what temple he's talking about. We are also, uh, uh, we also are interested in... Uh, uh, the, in verse 1, we find the Lord, and some have translated, that is, is the throne and the Lord that is lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I used to read this, and I would think of that flowing garment that the king wore into the temple, and Isaiah had a vision of it. But studying the, the passage and studying uh, the, the uh, uh, the scriptures that relate to it, the word train does not refer to his garment, but for the accompaniment that accompanied him into the temple. Uh, this refers to the same cloud of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 13. It has to do with the angelic host that accompanied him into the temple, and there that host filled the temple. And we're told that one of the seraphims, we're told that he cried one to another and said, Holy, holy, the Lord of hosts is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, uh, is full of his glory. Uh, we're told that, uh, verse 1 again, uh, the above, Above it stood the seraphims. But rather, the translation should be, the seraphims were standing attending him, would be the, the literal translation. The seraphims, plural, were standing attending him. So they were his servants. Oh, we can't read this without thinking 
of that great forensic scene that is afforded us in the Revelation chapters 4 and 5. In Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24. Just a few verses here. Getting at verse 27. As the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. We see the constellations being shook out of place. And then we're told, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all of the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Here we find our Lord coming to set things right. This has to do with the prophecies. And uh, we've just glimpsed at them tonight. The prophecies that are more sure, the inspired men of God, holy men of God, as they speak, as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a, what a compliment, what a reference to the inspiration of the Old Testament scriptures by the Apostle Peter when he said we have a more sure word of prophecy. In Luke, 9.28 it says, and it came to pass, and so we find a preview of the fulfillment of the prophetic program in preview in the, uh, in the record of the uh, transfiguration and the glory shown in the transfiguration of our blessed Savior. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. And it came to pass, but now, Paul recounting before Agrippa his experience on the road to Damascus. I'd like to begin reading at verse 12, and we'll read hurriedly, so follow along. Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them that journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the goats. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? He uh, needs identification. He need to know. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But, but, arise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and all the things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. We'll stop right there. He said to Paul to stand upon your feet. I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but arise and stand upon your feet. And here we find Paul's reiteration, his reference to his commission. And we'll notice that he, he told him that he wanted him to be a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, the things that he had experienced, the things that he had seen in the encounter, 
and he says, and also in the things into which I will appear unto thee. In other words, the Lord says this is just the beginning of a series of revelations that I will, uh, in which I will declare and show unto thee the things that you must do. So Paul then had the uh, initial revelation which the Lord continued progressively to unfold to the apostles to the extent if we had time we'd go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 7 where he said that a thorn was given to him in the flesh that he might not be puffed up among, above measure because and on account of the abundance of revelations that he had received from the Lord. So Paul received a progressive uh, accounting of the message that uh, the risen Savior had, uh, had, uh, had raised him up for. And uh, verse 17 in Acts 26 tells us, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, is there any other people? The people referring to Israel, the Gentiles, of course, we know, uh, are Gentiles. But our word delivering is an interesting word, and most commentators will say that the Lord had to assure Paul from time to time to give him courage. The Lord did that, if we would, uh, as we look in Acts chapter 18, where the Lord did, we will not look there, I'll just make reference to it, where he said, Paul, fear not. Paul was scared to death. Fear not, he says, for I have much people in this place. I'm going to give you power, strength, and I'll protect you. And so most commentators say here, that's a reiteration of the delivering. So Paul was to be delivered from, uh, the, uh, from the adversities of life and from the adversities of his enemies during his ministry. But this word doesn't mean that. Really, it's translated, I think John Nelson Darby translates it, plucking thee out from, extracting thee from. The word delivering means that God reached among the people, the people and the Gentiles, and Paul was taken out and he became a third party. Taking thee out from them. In his commission, Paul was separated unto the gospel of Theos. Oh, what a part Paul was to play in the great filling up of God's great revelation concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of it as my gospel as he speaks in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter uh, 16. And let us turn there for just a brief moment. Uh, we're going to close here on time. Chapter 25. This great appendix. I want you to notice the main verb in uh, this uh, passage. It's a doxology. He said, Now to him, or now unto him, that is of power to establish you. According to my gospel, even, if you'd allow me, even the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Not two things, but one thing. One is an emphatic to explain what my gospel was. My gospel, even the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the age times began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of Christ, I must insist in my understanding that these, this is not reference to Paul's prophetic writings, not on your life. The context of 16 chapters will not allow me to do it, but rather to be established in God's eternal purpose and to understand that it did come to pass, but now, there's something new. But the now, what God is doing now, must be understood as we relate it to the scriptures of the prophets.
because we have a more sure word of prophecy. And if we're going to understand, and this word and between the word manifest and the word by is in the, in the most, in the most reliable manuscript and we can't translate it even. It's another little word and that speaks of two things. If I'm going to be established, I'm going to understand the writings of the prophets in the light of Pauline revelation. I'm going to know something about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that was prophesied back in the Old Testament scriptures because uh, Paul tells us that, uh, he tells us in Romans, I wanted to go there, I will do it just for a moment, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, but now, no, he says, uh, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. He says, Whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world become guilty before God. For by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We understand what sin is as we look at the law. And he says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets I must have the law and the prophets in order that I might see that I might see that the law could never save the law could never make me righteous the law could demand the law could prescribe penalty but the law could not give me power to live it is only when I understand the content of Romans 6 that I can have victory over the flesh. So then, we have a tremendous uh, implication. I'll appear unto thee for this cause that you might be a, a witness, that you might be a minister of those things which thou hast seen in the things in the which I'll appear unto thee. And so, Paul's my gospel was a development of the abundance of revelation. Yes, we do have. Turn with me to Ephesians now in closing. Ephesians. This is, this has been called the throne room. It has been called the apex. It has been called the acne of scripture. We're brought now into a place where God's eternal purpose is illuminated before us. In chapter 3, I wanted to read several verses, but I will confine myself. I would like to uh, just look at verses, well, we begin at verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, assuming ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in the above, or in a, a, a few words, in the above. Whereby when you read it, the understanding, ye may understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I am assured in my own heart that the apostles and prophets, those that had beheld him and were eyewitnesses of his majesty, those that had seen him there unveiled before them, fashioned in his glory, they learned something from the apostle Paul. The but now has to do with revealing this man from glory. How that he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. And how that he raised up the apostle Paul, that one apostle. Yes, the twelve understood something about the prophetic program. And they were used of God to bring that program to its uh, finale historically, to be resumed at a later date. When the church, that great uh, 
great purpose of God, which he refers to here, uh, will be finished. The prophetic program will stop. But the apostles and prophets here. Look at verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs or joint heirs of the joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. For I am made a minister according, uh, made a minister uh, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the untrackable riches of Christ. To make all men see what is the economy or the uh, fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to this intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. The church is not the eternal purpose, I understand this verse to teach. But Christ from the very inception of the revelation back in Genesis, as we follow through the scriptures, God is progressively in the prophets and through the prophecies of the Messiah. He is unfolding the great mystery of Christ, of which Paul says, I have insight. Paul had that body of truth that the prophets could not and never could have understood. They did not know, even the apostles did not know. They know something about his majesty. They saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But that was according to the prophetic program. This was his glory that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. This was the glory that uh, Daniel spoke of in chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. But they never saw this glory that came from the excellent glory when the Apostle Paul was stricken down on the road to Damascus and commissioned that moment and told to arise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose and for the last 1900 years God has been fulfilling that now time. Yes, it came to pass, but now indicates a great change in the program of God from the prophetic program which Peter refers to in 2 Peter and which the Apostle Paul refers to as he recounts his experience on the road to Damascus and he concludes with a great Ephesian letter of saying that unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach that I, the big ego, that I should preach among the Gentiles the untrackable can't be searched out in the prophets Peter referred to the prophet. He said it's a more sure word of prophet, but not Paul. The untrackable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the age hath been hidden in God and created all things by Jesus Christ. Brother.